Welcome to the DCCC Youth Podcast. This podcast is a sermon called, Why Is There Suffering? And Greg's sermon series called, Light and Momentary, A Study of Suffering. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Um, we ask and we pray that you would open our hearts, uh, that you would be with me as I speak, that um, you would teach us something, teach our hearts something, and that what I teach would be right and truth, and guide my speech, my heart, and open all of our hearts to you as we talk about this day. In your name we pray. Amen. We are continuing our series from last week. I'm a little sick today, so if I have to drink some water or something, sorry about that. As Thompson said, uh, we are continuing our series <coughs> on suffering called Light and Momentary, and I wanted to just review our scripture for the entire series, encourage you to memorize it from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. just wanted to read through it again. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this, is, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our, also be revealed in our body. <clears throat> for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you have uh, your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't, you can get them in the back and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We will be jumping around a little bit today. As a lot of you know, if you've been here any period of time while I've preached, I don't usually do what I'm doing, even with this series where it's a topical thing. I I like to um, play it safe and actually go through a book or something like that to give us some context. So I pray... And I, I hope that as we're going through this, I'm being faithful to what we're talking about. And uh, sorry for jumping around a bit, but uh, especially today, we're going to take a broad swipe at the topic. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the answer to suffering, kind of an introduction. Um, now I want to strip it down a little bit <clears throat> and just talk about, before we build up a Christian view of suffering, let's just talk about the big question. Why is there suffering as Christians? Why do we even think there's suffering? We talked last week about some of the other answers and other religions. We're going to um, focus in a little more on two big questions, I really think, um, about suffering. And they're really, really closely related. In some ways, they're even kind of the same thing. But as I have gone through life um, in my limited years, 
and seen things happen and asked questions. These have been the two big ones that I've asked or I've heard people ask. And the first one is, uh, why is there suffering in the world at all? And sorry if some of this is a little difficult to read. I didn't realize that until this morning. Why is there suffering in the world at all? Why does it have to be this way? Uh, the things are broken. And some of this will be a, a little bit of repeat from last week and just kind of defining a little more some things. But <clears throat> why is there suffering in the world at all? And that is why I had to go to Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Let's read it again. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So just reading this, we get a little bit more of a picture, even of what Genesis isn't telling us, about what life was like before this happened, before Adam and Eve sinned. <coughs> Excuse me. It seems like they were working. Adam did things. He worked, and it was good. And we could spend an entire sermon on work and how work is actually good. It doesn't have to be drudgery. But he says, you were working before, and it was fine. It was okay. Now when you work, you're going to sweat, and you're not. It's, it's going to be like pulling teeth to get it to do what you want. Um, so that's just one consequence. But this is what is commonly called the fall. Um, just going through some basics here. It's commonly called the fall. Adam and Eve sin, and our entire race is held accountable. We don't have time to go through all the different theological suggestions about exactly what this means. Um, but we at least know that he, as a human, stood for our race in, in some way. If we read Romans chapter 5, it talks about for one man sin, and therefore they all sin. So we are all subjected to this thing, this curse that God puts on us. Uh, we talked about last week about that curse. Um, God isn't to be blamed for punishing us for what we do. Uh, yes, God put a curse on us, and that's why we suffer. But ultimately, we are held responsible. We're going to hopefully go a little bit deeper into that sovereignty of God, and God is in control, and yet we're still held accountable for the things we do. Um, so I wanted to, to jump ahead already. Where are you jumping? So that happens in Genesis chapter 3. The, the world is cursed. Bad things happen. And uh, I'm thinking about what's happened right now. Remember last week I was talking. I had already planned this before all this stuff in Haiti happened. And all this stuff around the world that happens all the time. But things like happen in Haiti. And we think about it. We look at it. We say, man, people are suffering. And it, it brings it to our attention maybe more than normal. Um, because we start thinking about these things. So I, I think it's a very opportune time to be going through this and building this viewpoint as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and say, what, what are we really talking about here? Why is this happening? How do we deal with it as Christians? And there's actually a perfect example, I think, of kind of a parallel of what happened in Haiti in the Bible. Um, you know, there's lots of suggestions and famous <laughs> suggestion that the reason it happened in Haiti is because they made a pact with the devil and so God was punishing them and stuff like that. But I think Jesus gives us the answer in the Bible um, for why things like this happen. He says, um, if you go to Luke chapter 13, he says, Now there was some present at the time who told Jesus about uh, the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So 
the bad people. They're, they're basically saying they're bad people. Something bad happened to them. And then um, Jesus answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, unless you repent too, you will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all perish. So there's these people in Jerusalem, they're walking along, minding their own business, and a tower falls on them, and they die. And everyone's saying, well, look at these people, clearly they were bad people, because it wouldn't happen to you, that something like that doesn't happen to you unless you did something bad. You're not going to suffer from this massive earthquake that destroys your whole country unless you're doing something bad. Because God punishes those people who, you know, you, kind of the karma idea. What you give, you get back. And Jesus basically says, no, you can't do that. Um, I, I, probably, I like to think that Jesus is even thinking back to the book of Job because that's exactly what all of the book of Job is about. His friends are saying... Look, Job, you must have done something really bad because God's really punishing you. Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is what it's for, and this is how it relates to Genesis chapter 3. He says, these people were not worse sinners. He clears that up, and hopefully they had already deep down in their heart known that somehow. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So what's Jesus telling us here? Why did the tower fall on those people? How does the connection get made? He says, the tower fell on those people so that you would repent. Okay? The wages of sin is suffering and death. God uses these consequences of sin to show us that we are separated from him, that we need him, and then he draws us to himself. So these bad things happen. This stuff happens in Haiti. So people start to look at their lives and say, wow, that could happen to me. This could happen any time. They aren't worse sinners than I am, if we're honest with with ourselves. We know that. They didn't do anything worse than what we do every day. In fact, they were probably better. We waste so much, we ignore all the people around us. And that happened to them. So one of the roles, I'm not going to say this is the whole thing, but one of the roles of suffering is to wake up the entire world to say, you know what, this is a problem. And uh, going a little further with it, this suffering is our greatest indication that there's something wrong with the world. The world is not the way it ought to be. And that's what we all say. Everyone's saying this. When this happened, right after it happened to Haiti, people are like, that is so sad. It shouldn't be that way. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, it shouldn't be that way. So start thinking about your life. Start thinking about your life because things are not right. And, you know, I'm not too far out of my teenage years <laughs> and Rachel I haven't been married too long you know I broke up with people and I, when I was in high school and college and stuff and even things like that when, when you're young and you know, some of you are even too young for that you know you're in your love things are happening it's good it's great seems like everything's right with the world and then it stops something happens and you, you're all of a sudden your life falls apart you know something happens your friend betrays you um your relationship falls apart and you're like things were so perfect why does it have to be this way and sometimes things like that they get, it seems to make the world end a broken relationship whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship it's bad and the reason our heart says that is because it isn't supposed to be that way relationships are not supposed to be broken they are, are meant to last they're meant to 
encourage one another to, to walk together. And when this happens, it is bad. It is bad. God hates when it happens. And it is our sign that things are not right. <clears throat> so I, I say, um, we're looking at this. The suffering is um, a symptom of our problem, but it is also the sickness in a way. We are sick because of sin. And it is also the symptom that shows us that we're sick. It's both of these things. Sin destroys things. It makes our bodies break down. It makes our relationships break down. It makes our lives break down. It makes the world break down. It is the sign that we are sick. And it is also our sickness. And this is what Genesis tells us. So, I think a couple reasons that this happens. <coughs> Number one is to humble us, to make us dependent on God. And <coughs> also, we learn in the Bible, and I'm going to turn there right now, that sometimes it can be a test of our faith and obedience. Um, that God wants to strengthen us in some way. If you were here last time I preached, you remember when I prayed, and I, I try and pray this a lot, that I said, God, when we do suffer, because we will use it to draw us to yourself and not turn away from you and, and that's part of why we're doing this right now let's learn to suffer well let's learn to suffer so it draws us near to God not turn this way um, and so it's, it's okay to have your faith and obedience tested um, and it makes us more dependent on God so um, we live in a cursed world since suffering is a curse established by God we're unable to remove that, that much, that's clear you know, we can come up with medicines, we can try and cure cancer, we can do all that stuff, but things are going to keep happening. Relationships are going to keep being broken, and a lot of people, uh, nihilists, existentialists, they look at the world and they say, especially nihilists, why even bother? Um, there's no point to this, why should we pretend that there's a point? Um, and let's fight against that as Christians, let's show the world with our lives that there is a point that this can be cured, but it is not man who is king. It is God who is king. So why? Uh, well, what can we do? We can depend on Christ to remove that curse. And, it, you know, we, we ask this question. Why, if God's able to remove suffering, why would he wait? Why would he wait to do that? And, again, going back to what we've centrally been talking about, why would God wait? Well, there's an earthquake in Haiti and people start to think about their lives they realize that something's wrong if everything was right in our world what reason would we have to turn to God I'm not saying that God is a crush that we need him to get through life because we're too weak uh, you know the kind of atheist argument um, in a bad way I'm saying that we do need God to get through life in a positive way because we were made to be with him there's a reason we need God not to just hold us up because um, we need something mentally and we're just pretending but because we really do need someone to hold us up because we were created to have him hold us up to hold us in his hands and we, we don't we ask these questions um, why would he wait uh, when, and I said this last week the removal of suffering is not his greatest priority now that's kind of shocking we're down here we're suffering and we ask well why wouldn't it be his greatest priority life is hard why why would God not take this away um, because his greatest priority is bringing people to himself 
to draw people to himself. That is what he's doing. That is his greatest priority. And it always will be. Um, C.S. Lewis had a favorite quote in a book, The Problem of Pain. Um, I'm going to, next time I preach, I'm going to give you some books and resources you can read. There are so many good books on this topic. And there's a couple of good ones out right, uh, that just came out. But C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, it's a lot of philosophy, but his famous quotes, he says, uh, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. People are going around, they're plugging their ears. Um, the Bible tells us people know that God exists. They know that he is good, but they basically they plug their ears and they close their eyes and they try and believe otherwise. He said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Pain is what makes people listen. And I don't mean this in a bad way, like God sends pain to you and like, <laughs> um, like sadistically, I guess. But again, it is a symptom of the fact that we are sick, and God uses that. Now, Christian, he's just a child. He doesn't always, we try and make him understand why we punish him for certain things. Like, but sometimes he doesn't understand why he can't ride Abby like a horse, or like push her into the oven. <laughs> you know, he does all kinds of funny stuff. Sometimes he doesn't understand why. Um, and he even asks, I don't, you know, I don't want a spanking. Why am I getting a spanking? And we try and make him understand. But sometimes he just doesn't understand. Why? Because he is a child. Um, and sometimes he just wants to do what he wants to do. So we ask this question of God, well, why is this happening? And why, why can't you just remove this problem? And again, going back to what I said last time I preached, is that we just don't have the understanding. We are not the author of all history. We don't understand the thousands of years that came before and who knows how many after, and that he is working all of those things for his good plan. We see our own lives, like under a microscope, and we say, well, why am I going through this? Well, there's, there's been plenty of people who have suffered more, and we ultimately don't have the answer. In Romans, um, God even says, who are you, O man, to question God? Um, And we say, well, that's not a very satisfying answer. That's because we don't have the ability to understand the answer, the true answer, in all of its ways. Um, But um, there is an important thing we'll get to later about um, we can trust God because we know what it costs him. We're asking all these questions. Why Why am I suffering? Why is the world this way? Why can't you just take it away? And his answer is sending Jesus to die on the cross. The cost was so great. And if we, if we don't feel we can trust God in other things, we can look to Jesus and understand that his plan is so overarching and, and so great in its understanding. And it costs him so much. Well, who are we to start questioning when it costs him that much? So that's uh, question number one. Question number two, this is the one I think you see more than the other one maybe. Uh, Why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is going to seem very harsh when I put it up here. But the answer is that there are no good people. And I'm going to qualify that because I think a lot of us can look around the world and say, well, you know, even in Haiti right now, people are helping other people. They're good, right? Um, Well, what does it mean that there are no good people? Means that, um, good people are sinless. We'll, we'll, we'll see. In Jesus' uh, terms, um, good people are sinless, but there are no sinless people on the earth. So, yeah. Right. Um, well, 
I think we, we judge by a standard that's um, skewed a little bit. We compare it to bad people. We say, oh, those people are good. Well, um, obviously, probably, hopefully, some people have heard of him. Famous guy, probably one of the people in Christianity who influenced the, what we believe the most. Um, Augustine of Hippo, pretty ancient, back in the 400s. He came up, he said a lot of things, and we owe a lot to him. Um, but he believed very strongly in what is called now total depravity. Um, and I'm going to define this a little bit. Um, and the thing about Augustine is he, in his younger years, he belonged to this cult, um, the Manichees. And he, they believed very much in what's called determinism, that your way is set and there's nothing you can do about it. So Augustine becomes a Christian and he's fighting against that. He says, no, man has free will. He can do whatever he wants. He can choose what he wants. I'm going to fight against this because I think it's wrong. But he kept looking at his life and he said, you know what? As much as I want to say that man's will is totally free, what I see in the world and what I see in myself tells me otherwise. Because I want to do good things and I want to conquer the sin in my life. I want to be good to other people and I just can't. (laughs) No matter how hard I try, I, I just keep failing. And so he starts talking about this thing called total depravity. I want to define it a little bit um, because, you know, saying there are no good people. Um, the Bible says there is, uh, there's no one righteous, not even one. Well, let's define that because I think we, we can do things that are good, but does that make us a good person? And it relates again to why is there suffering in the world? There's a curse. Number one, corruption extends to every part of who we are, physical and mental. Um, that verse we looked at at the beginning. We are wasting away, outly. We are wasting away. Our bodies waste away because of that curse. And our minds, um, not that we can never do good things, but it is always going to be tainted by the sickness we have, that sin. We're, it's always going to, in some way, have something wrong with it. Um, that's what he said. We have the inability to do anything that can earn God's favor. Does that mean we can never do anything that some person might consider good. No. But we can never earn God's favor. Again, this, is, this all has to do with understanding. Um, like, I would never want Christian to try and earn my favor. And I, I love it when he like, draws me a picture and gives it to me. And he says, this is for you, Daddy. I work hard. I love that. But if he said, if he gave that to me and said, now, Daddy, will you love me? Like, obviously... The picture cannot earn my love. It's never going to. Nothing that he can do as a child can never earn my love. I give it freely. And I think this is a, a similar way of understanding it. Same with our questions. We're asking questions that we don't even have the capacity to understand the answer to. And we're, when we try and earn God's favor, his love, which we don't even understand what we're doing. Um, we don't understand how good we would need to be. Um, and so we're trying and we're, we're drawing these little pictures of squiggles and stuff and saying here will you love me now am I good enough now um, when we just can't even fathom how deep we would and how righteous and how good we would have to be to do that um, so it's always we, we just don't have the ability to do that we are so far below it especially because of this curse and our rebellion is totally deserving of eternal punishment um, now, again, this is kind of a, a, a popular thing to do, is to say, you know, if you just tell even one little white lie, that's deserving of hell. 
And I think we say this because it's like, okay, God's perfect, so if you have any sin, you have to be separated from him. That's a popular way, especially of doing evangelism. Um, but I think a lot of times for people who aren't Christians, it creates a lot of questions in their mind, like, well, do I really deserve to suffer eternally for telling a little white lie? And I think that the Bible doesn't really tell us that. In fact, it says that some sins are greater than others. Jesus um, and it says in the Gospels, the people who hand him over to be uh, crucified, their sin is the greater. So where does that leave us? Um, yes, we all have sin, but our greater problem is that we have rebelled against God. The sin is the symptom of what we are doing, that we have turned our back on God, that we are doing our own thing, we're doing our own way. And that's, that's really the truth. Um, our rebellion is deserving of eternal punishment. Um, yes, the sin is important. The sin has to be punished. But more important is what does our sin tell us about who we are and what we're doing? That's, that's the, the truth that you need to grasp. Not, you know, if I, ah, this is really bad, I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't have sex before I'm married because I'll go to hell if I do that. That's a bad reasoning. A bad way to think about it. You shouldn't do that because God just told you not to. And there's a reason he did. And the motivation behind it isn't that you're going to go to hell if you do that. It's that you're rebelling against your maker. And that's, that's at the root of it. And this is, this is essentially what Adam did. If we went back, we looked at um, the Genesis account of what Adam and Eve did. They really rebelled against God. The, the Satan's tempting them, and he's saying, well, did God really say this? And she's like, oh, you know what? This fruit does look better than a relationship with God. <laughs> and we're like, well, that seems really silly. She just she ate the fruit? Honestly, why would you do that, Eve? When every day we do the same thing. Uh, when we see, well, you know what? I would rather do this. I would rather get angry about this. I would rather um, do this my way than the way that God gave to me to do it. We do the same thing. Now, what doesn't this mean, this total depravity thing? I do want to um, give some negatives here to help us define it a little more. It doesn't mean that every one of us has every kind of depravity to its fullest extent. We're obviously not all Hitlers or all these horrible people. Like, not every person is as bad as they can be. Um, it's not saying that. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have any kind of conscience about God. In fact, the Bible tells us otherwise, that we do have a conscience in us that um, tells us about the, God, the laws of God. In Romans, it talks about that. Um, it doesn't mean we indulge in every kind of sin. Obviously, again, it's similar to the first one, that we sin in every way that we can. No, obviously not. And it, it doesn't mean that we can't perform actions that are considered good in the eyes of other men, or even in God's sight. We can do things that are considered good by God. Does that mean we can earn his favor? No. What does total depravity mean? You said it, it stretches to every part of who we are, and it stretches to every person. It doesn't mean those other things, so don't try and build up something false in your mind about it. Um, but those, <laughs> those two things are bad enough. You don't need to add the other ones to it. Um, there are no good people. God's mercy gives us good things every day. His mercies are new every morning. So uh, we say, why do bad things happen to good people? 
<laughs> the answer to that question is why should good things happen to bad people really that's what we're talking about here we are deserving of eternal punishment from the time we take a breath and yet God's mercy sustains us he gives us good things when we don't deserve them um, we like to see it the other way I deserve something better God why are you sending this suffering and God's answer is you know what I sustain your very life by my goodness and my mercy so turn to me this is for you to see that you need to turn to me um, that is what I'm using this for we don't deserve his goodness he has the right to take away what he's given he has every right to take away what he's given the removal of suffering is not God's primary purpose in history and it should not be our primary goal either going a step further than what I said before uh, we want to remove suffering more than we want God's will usually I think um, you know th- there have been other circumstances but most of the time our main goal is to be living a good life um, and when it comes up it collides with suffering a lot of times we do make poor choices uh, I'm going to give an example of my wife obviously most of you know her <laughs> and she gave her testimony in church a while ago but I think a lot of us who grow up in Christianity and Christian homes and stuff we kind of get this um, this, I don't know, genie um, slot machine God kind of thing going where if I do, or, or even Santa Claus that's a better example that, that God's kind of like Santa Claus if I'm on the good list then I get good things um, and Rachel, she, she'll tell you any time you ask her that's basically what she believed that she was living a good life because she was basically a good person um, and so her family was doing well you know they had money she was happy and then they get in this car accident and all of a sudden everything you know, crashes down and she says well what's the deal God you're not holding up your end of the bargain how come this is ha- I'm pretty I'm good we do good stuff why are you doing this to us and again just demonstrating everything we've been talking about that he uses it to wake her up to breathe new, fresh air, to clear her mind, and and see that it was much more important that she depend on him. And um, Rachel always, when she gives her testimony, she talks um, in Romans chapter 8, it says, For God works all things for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You go on, though. What he says that good is to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So God says, I'll work all things for your good. Do you know what your good is? To be more like Jesus. So, even though the good we think, you know, is being rich, being happy, God says, I will work all things for good so that you love Jesus more. That is my goal. That is my primary purpose. It's not to remove your suffering. It's to make you more like him. It is to draw you to myself. It is to show you who I am. That is the primary purpose of suffering. So, just to review some of the things that we've talked about. What is a Christian view of suffering? This is where we're going to go from here. Hopefully we've answered, I know I can never satisfactorily answer every question you have um, in the limited time we have, but we have kind of our philosophical foundation for this, for why is there suffering at all. So we're going to move ahead in the weeks to come how should we suffer as Christians we're going to be going through some Bible passages that give us some clues Um, the big thing what is a Christian view of suffering more than anything else we need to always remember this we need to always be going back to this that Jesus is the center 
he is what what it's all about. If our religion has no Jesus, then we're just coming here and having a nice social club. If if our suffering has no Jesus, then it is pointless. You know, this is where history centers on Jesus. You cannot take him out. He is the point and the purpose of history and God's plan. Uh, so how does Jesus deal with suffering? He sympathizes. We actually already talked about this one. This is just a little bit what I talked about last week. I wanted to review a little so it gets a check mark. He suffered like us even more than us. He does not ignore our hurting situation. For example, he heard the cries of the Egyptians. What was his purpose in bringing them out of Egypt? To be in a relationship with him. He heard their cry. He answered them. But why did he do that? So that Israel could be in a relationship with him. That is why. And that, that, that is always why. Jesus is comforting to someone who suffers because he has come to do something about it. Jesus came to do something about that because he, you know, he is the purpose of history. Jesus did suffer. Uh, and again, uh, it cost him so much. The suffering, this whole plan that we don't understand, it cost him so much. So where else are we going to go? Uh, he, number one, he sympathizes with us. Number two, he assures us that suffering is temporary. We do not ultimately suffer for eternity if we are his followers. He has brought a solution to the suffering, and the suffering of Christ was such a high price to pay that it assures us God would not such pay such a high price if it would not have been sufficient to solve the problem. That, again, it's all about Jesus. He is the answer to the questions. Why don't you remove suffering? Well, look at Jesus. Why would I do this if it was not the, the best way to do it? And how he, he also changes how we suffer. Uh, reminded of God's control. This will only last as long as God allows it to. This curse will be removed. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. And the sons of God are revealed. The earth even waits for it. We have a bitter, bigger problem than our suffering. We are separated from God. And uh, we are no longer focused on our problems. That's how he changes how we suffer. These are some of the places we'll be going in the weeks to come, talking about them a little more, um, talking about the hope of heaven, the hope of Jesus Christ, um, and, and assuring us that it's temporary, and also in changing how we suffer to be more like him. Um, and I'm really excited about this. We are also going to do a little aside one of the weeks and talk about um, dying for Jesus, martyrdom. What is the purpose? How should we view that? And it, because there have been so many people who have died for Jesus, and, and what's the point? Um, and I'm really excited to talk about this because it is so important, um, and these questions are, are in everyone's mind right now. Uh, maybe not today because of the Super Bowl, but um, they have been on people's minds, and they will continue to be on people's minds because we suffer every day. Things happen every day, um, and we need to have the answers to this. Um, so let's pray, and we'll get going. Lord Jesus. Again, uh, we ask and we pray that you would teach us how to suffer well, that we would see your example, we would understand why you did what you did, that, that when suffering does come, that you would draw us to yourself. Uh, we pray that we would not turn away. Just open our hearts to this issue. Um, so easy to kind of just maybe ignore it, uh, thinking it'll go away. But we need to face these things. We need to face our doubts about these things in faith that you will give us the answers and that our faith will be strengthened in you. 
And we again um, we thank you for this day that we can come together as your people, that we can worship together, we can open our hearts to you, we can learn about you. And we ask, God, that you would illuminate our hearts, that we would understand you more, that we would look in your word and find answers and find you. We thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross that that you would pay that cost. Help us to give us the strength to trust you and that that was sufficient, that was the answer. And change us by your words. They are our bread, our food, our life. Uh, we thank you that you gave us the Bible so we can know who you are and we didn't just have to figure it out um, on our own that you gave us um, revelation of who you are. And again, we just, um, we thank you for suffering. That it can show us that there is a problem. That it shows us a lot of times more of who you are, that we depend on you more. We have more faith in you. And of course, God, we don't want to suffer, but we ask that when we do, that you would use it. Um, That you would change who we are to be more like you to know you more. Work it for our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen.